0: hello wherever you are in the world today welcome to beyond the art in our series the stories that carry us i'm your host Crapo flynn a citizen of the cherokee nation and the delaware tribe of indians in each episode we will discuss with various native american artists influencers art leaders and everyone in between their experiences the communities they serve and the translation and interpretation of the native american art world today Welcome to Beyond the Art. Today, we have Kyle Kaiwika Harris, a filmmaker and screenwriter that's Choctaw out in Hawaiian. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Well, we're going to start out right off the top and tell us a little bit about what you do, your personal background and your cultural heritage and how that's incorporated into what you do as a filmmaker. Yeah, I... I... I mostly
1: recognize with my uh, my, or I mostly identify with my mother's Hawaiian heritage. That's sort of what I grew up with. My mother's side, she's from Hawaii. Her dad, my grandpa, is full blood Hawaiian. He's from Molokai, and her mother is from Oklahoma, which is my grandma, and she had uh, Choctaw citizenship, mm-hmm. and so that's a descendancy tribe. And so I have a CDIB card the Choctaw Nation, which is now you know it's out of Oklahoma where I live. But I mostly grew up identifying with my mother's Hawaiian heritage, just because I, I grew up around my mother. My mother raised me, and stuff like that. But there wasn't a lot of Hawaiian heritage in Oklahoma. <laughs> you can yeah. imagine. So
0: true. Yeah. yeah, kind of the land in the middle of nowhere. But uh, yeah, <laughs> right, what,
1: right. What
0: inspired you to become a filmmaker and screenwriter?
1: Um, just just loving movies at a at an early age. I like, um, uh, like like I was saying. You're, that we talked about before growing up, my my parents were got divorced at a young at a very young age and being a, a sort of a I wasn't very a rambunctious kid or, or a rebellious kid or loud. I was very quiet and I, I could recognize when, you know, other people were emotionally hurt or conflicted. And so I would just try to like ease that, you know, conflict a little bit and stay out of things and keep the, you know, attention off of me. Mm-hmm. And so late 80s, early 90s, you know, we had VHS tapes and there was a gas station and we'd drive home from school and we'd just rent these like $2 VHS tapes. And I would just rent two or three at a time and I'd come home and just kind of stay out of the way and I would just watch movies because I didn't have, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any money growing up. Uh-huh. Um, and so there wasn't like HBO or obviously there wasn't any Netflix or any subscription stuff like that in my life. It was just basic television and then a VHS player. And so I would just watch movies. And that was sort of my escape, um, you know, outside of my head right, and outside right. of the problems of the world. And and I just felt like in an early age that I connected with the emotional themes of the stories. It wasn't, it wasn't just purely entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I didn't watch it for that because I was going through an emotional sort of phase in my life. And so I somehow just connected to those themes, that sort of more mature movies. Gave me, and uh, like I was telling you, like there's a movie called A Perfect World that Clint Eastwood did in '93 with Kevin Costner. And um, I remember being 10 years old, renting this movie, and just I rented it mostly because it was Clint Eastwood. Um, I don't think I really knew Costner outside of Revenge or The Untouchables right. or like that, but uh, <laughs> uh but I, I remember watching that movie, and it was about a guy who gets he breaks out of prison it's like set in the fifties or the sixties and he, and he kidnaps this little boy Uh, and they go on this sort of road trip movie. And we find out that this boy doesn't have a father and he's not present in his life. And then Kevin Costner's character sort of becomes a de facto father figure. And though we know he's the antagonist of the movie in some ways, he's like a good guy. Uh And he, and he tries to teach this boy like life lessons. And meanwhile, you got the police hunting him down. Clint Eastwood's character. And it just sort of like, you know, collides at the end. But uh, I remember just connecting to that movie. And, and, and I, I, that was the first time I thought to myself, like, whoa, okay, movies can do this. Right. And uh, I, I think from that moment on uh, is, is when I really just, uh, I had to figure out a way to do it. But I, I never knew anybody in cinema, like, or I never knew anybody in filmmaking. Where I grew up in Spyro, Oklahoma, I graduated with 80 people. And nobody was in the film industry. There's no writers. There's no directors, producers. Nobody. I didn't have money growing up. So I had no, there's no access to that world. So it took me sort of getting outside of my comfort zone in order to find what that, what that was. Right. And that was college after high school, then the military, and then sort of playing in a rock band and sort of slowly um, giving myself the permission to be creative and not have to have someone's permission to go do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it took some maturity um, and living some life and learning lessons of life and being 31 years old before I ever started. Now I'm about to be 41. So, you know, been doing it for 10 years now. And, and I think the maturity side of it, starting later, definitely helped me uh, find that old feeling I used to have when I, in 1993 when I was mm-hmm. watching movies. So when I try to tell movies and stories now, as I write movies, I try to be authentic to my themes and upbringing and infuse that with emotions that I knew. And hopefully that resonates with an audience. That makes sense. That
0: makes sense. Okay. Is there any, is there any part of your indigenous identity that influences your, your work? Uh,
1: yes. Um, yeah. Well, yes and no. Um I mean, when I first started making films, I worked in tribal leadership. Like, I, I worked in a, as a casino manager for a couple of years with Delaware Nation in Anadarko, Oklahoma, which is in, in capital of the nation. Absolutely, and I'm then, Delaware. Woo, <laughs> Delaware. Nation. Yeah, and um, and then after that, I got into public relations for the tribe and ended up sort of like working in their sort of government relations, and and I did that for five years. And so, when I was working with them, I was doing, I was writing and producing, directing my own short films, and that sort of just—it was an easy transition to get into on the tribal side. When I saw, I saw what they were doing, and I saw that there was a lack of, like, you know, uh, content from them in that regard. And so I thought this is a space that I might be able to help fill, and uh, help tell their stories. And it, it meant a lot to me to help find and sort of reconnect with my heritage. And uh and so that's what I did. You know, we we went to the up into the Northeast in 2016 and uh spent two weeks making a film, a feature documentary called The Water Gap Return to the Homeland. And uh it was about you know these these tribal youth who have never been to their ancestral homelands and what happens when you take them and you put them back in in their old ways and let them rediscover uh, their old indigenous ways from you know 100 years ago, what that what that means for them, and so that it was a there was a really emotional story there, and uh, I think it resonated very very strongly with the tribe and and some of the elders who participated in the film,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, then immediately after that went straight into uh, the Standing Rock. We went up to Standing Rock and lived for nine days. And, and, uh, and I remember, I remember watching the videos, you know, everybody had a cell phone video they were posting back then in 2016, that Standing Rock was happening and, and working with the tribes in the Midwest. I remember asking a bunch of questions to tribal leadership and none of them really knew what was happening. And so I just put together, you know, a packet for production and I said, Hey, let's, let's go figure out what, what's going on and let us try to document this. And of course they got behind that idea and then literally within a week we were off and we went there and stayed and and uh, shot another documentary. And I'm very proud of that film. It's called I stay in the guardians of the water and it won a, a Heartland Emmy. And, um, and so, you know, making those films and, and, and several shorts that had to, to do with native American culture and native American cast members and crew, uh, and then working with a tribe and it just. It, it helped me to, again, just it, it's all like I think film, where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. When I look at all the th- the pieces of the puzzle, and all of them just sort of came together in a different way, and they all informed a different side of me th- to get me to where I'm at now. And so, I'm very thankful for those films and to have those opportunities to tell those stories and work with those people and. And to be where I am now. That's,
0: yeah. So, is there a particular process that you go through when you're writing a screenplay and, and producing a film?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you can talk for a week on that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I do for a living. You know, there's. Uh, it's not a hobby. It's not just a weekend, you know, thing. It's like right. what I do in in the office. Five days a week, six days, actually 24 uh, 7. <laughs> There's no resting. Um, but screenwriting, for me, like I went to a film school um, after the military and I went to school to be a director of photography. And I went to a two year program at Collins College in Phoenix, Arizona. And for whatever reason, it just, when I came back to Oklahoma, it just, it, I was looking for a certain type of story to tell and to mm-hmm. shoot. And I just, I wasn't finding that story. And so I basically just decided, you know what, if you're not finding it, then create it yourself. So I sat down and just, I had, I was always been a, you know, a voracious reader of screenplays and novels. And so I knew how stories kind of naturally flowed. And then of course, just watching movies, if you're smart enough and observant enough, you can pick up on it. Right. Um, And so I just sat down and started doing it. And uh, I'd write a bunch of short films and uh, I would just put all the money I made outside of whatever money I was saving outside of paying bills and whatever I put right into my films. I just from 31 to 36 ish, I just, I don't think I saved a dollar. It all went (laughs) on screen and I just did it myself. I sit down, I wrote it. Then I was like, okay, I might as well just direct this myself. I might as well just go with it, get the camera and shoot it. Produce it. Well, I'm going to have to have a budget to pay crew members. Okay. I need $4,000 and I would go raise the money. I either save it myself mm-hmm. or I would go out and just, I would dare I say, bum money. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. once you make a couple of things and if they're, you know, a couple of short films and if they're good and you put it in a, in a local festival and it's a nomination or a win, you start building momentum right. around yourself in the, in the community and people see that you're not just, um, uh, you know doing this for a hobby, like if you can tell on the fo- in the filmmaking and the storytelling that it 's more there right there 's more substance yes. there and and authenticity that 's yes. it that 's it and I think people started noticing that about me and the way I talked about projects and and so that 's you know that 's what i did and in between a short film uh you know i i 'd already be writing the next project or i 'd be doing a documentary for the tribes or and I would just watch and I'd learn. And I, and uh, of course, I would help this other production company called Three Egos Films out of Lawton, Oklahoma. They were some young guys at, at a college and they were really talented. And so I'd go help them on their productions and they'd help me on my productions. And so I'd watch them in between and help however I could and just kept learning as much as I could. And then I was writing the screenplays, the features. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, to date, I've written over 25 movies. Wow. And but that's over the course of 10 years. And so I, I would just write movies when you're first starting off, you're just going to write whatever you want. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you're going to write five screenplays and then they're going to be all over the, all over the place. That's they're not going to have spectrum. any sort of dramatic tie in or, right. Or, you know, it's, for whatever reason, when we begin when we first began, we want to sell this million dollar screenplay to Hollywood, which is just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I sort of, I wrote a screenplay called Blood Roots. and That's what got me repped in LA. And it wasn't until I became more authentic to myself as a, you know, as a storyteller and mm-hmm. with regard to heritage and culture that it got, that my writing got noticed. So when I tell young writers now, after seeing sort of what I've done up into this point, it's if you want to save yourself some time, go inside first. Don't just write whatever you think everybody wants to watch. Don't write the next alien invasion thriller because Hollywood's got 50 guys on standby. that can do that on payroll. So what you want to do is you want to write something that's authentic to you. Maybe you know what it's like to live with the death of a parent or, um, you know, just something, you know, something thematic that is emotionally conflicted to yourself. And if, if you know how to do that, go inward and then come out with it on the page and Hollywood's going to look at your material and they're not going to hire some John Jacob Smith to rewrite your story. Right. Right. Because it's so authentic on a page that they can't. Mm-hmm. And, um, I feel like that's where, you know, I could have saved myself a lot of time if I would have known that. But again, I had no training in screenwriting or, uh, uh other than just reading books or watching movies and stuff like that. You know, at film school they didn't teach me about breaking down screenplays and understanding what that means. <laughs> uh, the cycle so, of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They it was mostly just you know, I went to school to be a DP, so a director of photography. So it was a cinematography video videography that I learned. So um Do you yeah, start
0: you know, do you start with like a treatment? Or do you have a pretty much set story in your mind when you decide, okay, well, I'm going to further develop this into a story and then film or whatever. Or is there an outline that you start with saying, okay, this is something I think that may be interested in and build upon that way.
1: You know, my managers and agents would love for me to do outlines. <laughs> and, 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 and uh, But no, uh, that's, that's not how I work. Um, what I do is, I just kind of go through life and uh, I'll read something and, or I'll see something and re- I do a lot of research, something might inspire, uh, you know, some little nugget of an idea. Right. And, um, from there, I just, um, I just start thinking about character, you start with the character, like who who are we going to follow for this movie? We're seeing through this person's eyes. And I learned, I learned after I got my managers and took a 300 meetings in Hollywood and, and developed several things with producers, and directors, um, how to develop screenplays. So I can sit down now. And when I get that idea, that basic sort of, you know, origin of an idea, Mm -hmm. who's this character I'm going to follow through? Why are they, why are they interesting to this world? And then just start asking myself the questions that have to be answered. Like, what does this character want? Like what does it want physically that he can pick up in his hand at some point in the story? What does he want? Like, but then what does he need to discover along the way that overpowers his want in some way? So it becomes change for the character. And like, what is it that's flawed about this person? Like what's haunting that person? And then what stands in his way of achieving this thing? You know, it's uh, the antagonist. It seems like a basic formula, but then if you can get really creative and, and learn how to, you know, Get in there and sort of bend the rules. You can hide the formula in storytelling, right? And uh, so that's what I do now. And uh, it's just like a puzzle piece. But then, but I just do it all in my head. And uh, I might create like a, a Word document page and put the title of a movie mm-hmm. and then just put like thoughts. Just, this is a character. This is his name. This is what he does. This, and I'll just do that. And it'll get, you know, t- 20 pages worth of stuff. And then, I can literally in my head know what the beginning of the movie is, all through every beat. I'll just sort of know it in my head, and, and uh, when once it reaches critical mass, it's time to like go to, pe- to the page and then get it out of your head now. But like, I mean, I've worked on beat, done beat sheets and outlines, but mm-hmm. I feel like for me, um, just outlines and stuff are always something that people want you to do early, mm-hmm. and if you do it. Before it's ready, you'll, you'll do all that. And then you'll feel like you have to work. You have to write based on that.
0: Right. And
1: then it throws me off a little bit because now I'm having to write within the confines of that. And, or, or I'm also one of these guys that changes things a lot. I might do 30 drafts of a screenplay. You know, I, that's another thing about writers. You know, like I see a lot of young writers who write had a screenplay. and They're like, it's my first draft. Read it. It's It's yeah. great. It <laughs> And it's like, oh, yeah. you'll, you'll <laughs> sit with it for a while. Yeah. Just, let it breathe. <laughs> let it breathe. Go, go back and reread it in, in a couple of weeks. You know, go, go for long walks. Go watch some other movies. Go read another script. Uh, and then come back and revisit it. And I guarantee you, you're going to find something about it you want to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes when I talk to young writers, I always tell you know, like, them, as soon as the word rewrite comes out of my mouth or any producer's mouth, the writer is going to be like, yeah, like, rewrites, really, but the territorial. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like, I think it's framed wrong. I, I learned, you know, like in development that a rewrite could be, well, we're going to do a rewrite. We're going to do a pass. But this time we're only going to do a pass based on dialogue and how it reflects theme. So you don't have to worry about anything else. Just look at your dialogue. If this, this is what our theme is. Now let's go back to the whole film. And if we can find a way to like, Use through subtext to establish the theme strong. Mm-hmm. That's the only rewrite you do. And then the next one might be, well, let's work on our slug lines. So go do another pass and just on your slug line or, you know, stuff like that. Right. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, page one, rewrite. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just, I feel like Hollywood's not very specific. And so like, for me, I like to be very specific. This is what my focus is on this rewrite, this thing only. And then just make that really good. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. Especially in the aspect of, you know, you're reading something that's one dimensional, but to vision it into a form that's captivating and draws in the audience, you want to make sure that that flow is there because reading it could just be very flat and one dimensional. Correct. Was there a time uh that you look back within the last 10 years and thought to yourself, ah, I have a career, I have a profession. I'm at that point.
1: Yeah. Um, actually I had that thought this morning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> you don't, you're always, I, I see it within myself. Um, you get in a hurry. You, you build momentum behind a lot of things that you're doing and then you start to see the momentum paying off. And then I, then it gets to the, it gets a real moment. Um, we like to call it. And then, uh, Everything happens. It's just you, you can sense all the energy around you. But you know, like even this morning, for instance, it's like as soon as I wake up in the morning, I've got like six emails. You know, and those emails are like investors or it's uh, production crew members, or they've got a lot of questions. And it's you know, it, to now it's the point where the thing that I created is always working for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like, but it took all those years and all that momentum to get there. And then once that happens, where you, it's like it's just always there. And but it's also like if you're driving down the interstate and you're going 80 miles an hour, you got your foot on the gas. If you if you you know you, if you take this exit, you're like you know what, I'm going to drive around for a little while and just look at the sights. That can be dangerous too for a career, right? Because <laughs> you let know, off that gas for just a little bit, or if you don't answer, like it's about moving information. Uh huh. And if you if you're not if the people around you aren't getting that information at the right time, then then they let off the gas too. Right. There's a miscommunication and confusion. And so <laughs> to get to where I've gotten to at this point and, and w- whatever the success that might be, I, I don't know for everybody, it's different, but I can't let off the gas now. It feels like, uh, so I've created the monster. And so, <laughs> uh, but I'm very thankful to be where I'm at doing what I do. And uh, I have to remind myself to like, hey, this is working for you now. You know, you, you, you've you done the heavy lifting and now it's it's working. So sometimes I have to tell myself, you can slow down a little bit. You know? A
0: little bit. <laughs> One or two miles slower. Yeah. Is there a time in the last 10 years that you look and say, see the own transition yourself uh, reflective of your story in this industry of how you change and how it's developed you as a screenwriter and filmmaker?
1: Hmm. I mean, I think all it's really done is just the more you, the more people you meet, the more you hear this sort of thing being said, being said, and the and the more you sort of go inside and, and bring it all out of you. I think that's where, you and, there, and that might take years. That might not take hmm. just a one-time sit-down. Do that. It could take years of kind of journeying and then journeying out. Um but I think it also you have to have that ability to recognize what people are saying to you. Yeah. Um you know sometimes you might go out to Hollywood and do meetings for a week, do 20 meetings and you might walk out of there thinking I'm gonna be
0: a millionaire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hit it big. Or, yeah like there's just this idea like that's why I don't I've had the opportunity to live in Hollywood or move to Hollywood and I just don't want to because Every time I'm there, I feel like as soon as you get off the airplane and you're carrying your, your luggage down the you know the track, you're just like there's just an energy here, and it's infectious, and uh, you, you just want to be there. But it's like uh, I also recognize that there's like, everybody in the world's doing it, trying to do it there, and I'm just a you know a small fish in the in the ocean, or I if you know I feel like for me that's why I like staying in Oklahoma. It's I can lay the foundation here. And tell my stories in an authentic way, mm-hmm. and then if Hollywood wants to take notice, that's fine. But I've also learned that they don't—you know—they don't really care. Um, there, there's no such thing as gatekeepers in Hollywood, right? I think um, I think it's just you've got to create your own space. They don't know what to do with you. They want you. They want me. They want everybody to be successful, but they don't know how to like utilize you. Everybody's a writer, everybody's a director, everybody's an actor. So they're just, I would imagine you would just be confused, like, uh right. you blindfold pick somebody. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like so you kind of have to just prove yourself. And so that's that's what I'm doing. And and so the people I'm talking to out there now who are like working with me, they're like, you're doing the right thing, you know, just you know, focus on you, the stories you want to tell, what's important to you and your brand storytelling. And people, you'll start to just build you you'll create your own space mm-hmm. and then somehow you're one day you're in sort of the system of Hollywood and then then you're just there. Right. And uh you know, you are just the gatekeepers yourself in some ways, you know. It's like um it's very it's true. It's not not one person out there with right. a key standing it's guard. True
0: to any artist or any industry. Uh how do you uh choose in Select your your stories that you want to tell. I mean, I'm I'm sure you have a ton, like you said, in your head mm-hmm. that are swirling around. How do you say, okay, I'm going to go with this one because this one makes sense to tell now, and holding back others.
1: Sure, it's um, a good question. And every time I take on a new project, it becomes a it becomes a committee meeting mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, and the committee and the committee people, I feel like. We want you to do this. you should do that right. and and but after again, after you've sort of built your momentum up and you start to trust your instincts and hone your instincts, you realize that the thing that you find that you're good at is still being authentic to yourself mm-hmm. That's the only way it works I feel like in a, in a good way right um, where you have a voice, you have a signature, a brand, a storytelling you infuse your emotions in it. So if someone comes along and says, Hey Kyle, I got this movie for you. It's finance. Go direct it. We don't want you to have any thoughts on the script. Just shut up and push the record button. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's never going to work out great. Right. You know, they, they, there's a delusion in those people's minds. I feel like that they, they take the, they take not a control or power, but the sensibilities. When you take that away from the writers and the directors, then you're just kind of left with this, whatever. Um, so for me, again, it's just being authentic to myself. Um, again, I, I, mean, my last movie that just came out out of exile it's a heist film with a uh, Peter green from the bad guy in Pulp Fiction and several other, you know, recognizable faces. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of this movie is a father reconnecting with his daughter after being in jail for 16 years. And uh, the movie I'm about to shoot, Reverence. It's about a uh, missing. It's a missing persons thriller about a, a man who suffers like from PTSD, and his daughter goes missing. And uh, sort of what that exposes in him, or what that brings up in him again. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, these old sort of wounds are reopened, and now it's a, he's on a new mission. And uh, but you know, it, uh, so there's a basically what I'm saying is there's themes there. They're reoccurring. So if someone says, Hey, Kyle, we want to hire you to write the next alien invasion thriller. Great. Well, at the heart of it, it's going to be about a parent a failed parenthood, right? or it's going to be in something in that regard, you know, um, because that's what I grew up in. You know, um, I, I can recognize, and I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that, you know, I had a sad, sappy story growing up or anything, but it's like, Everything, millions of people deal with it all the time, yeah,,
0: yeah. but it's your um, story.
1: I just know how to you know, yeah, I knew what that was like, and so I can tell that story and I have my own daughter right, and she's about to be eighteen years old, and now she lives in California, and so there's this distance now, and so it's like, you know it's not I'm working out all of those issues as being a parent with those conflicts and then as I was as a kid mm-hmm. and that's why we go to the movies anyways, is to sort of like be a kid again. Right. I right. No one goes to the theater to be serious or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, yeah, we want to go and just be outside of ourselves right. and uh, feel that feeling, that magic or whatever. And so you got to like find that what's, yeah, the emotional core of it, what you're doing. So tell
0: us, tell us a little bit about your last project and the current one you're working on.
1: Yeah. Out of Exile, I guess we shot that movie, uh, I mean, it's been a while ago now, mm-hmm. um, during COVID, um, and it just dropped in January 20th. It came out on Amazon prime and Apple TV and it's called out of exile. And then, um, this past summer, I shot a couple of short films, um, the killing ground and Charlie and Mike, which is this, the killing ground is like this, um, proof of concept short film. And about a serial killer in a small town. And uh, that's the one we just got financing for in the spring. And, and it's based off of a novel called The Huntsman. Mm. So we'll shoot that in the spring. But then after that, after I did the Killing Ground short film in June, I did the Charlie Mike short film because I'm also ex military. One of my producing partners is ex military. And uh, so it was a big special forces thing with night vision goggles. <laughs> and it was fun. You know, we went and had, had a lot of fun and just broke it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, for a few days in the jungle. And then, uh, so that's finishing VFX and the color or sound mix and be ready in November. And then I'm going right into the missing persons thriller, November 29th, we start shooting, which is exactly five weeks from today. And then we'll wrap out, you know, for the first of the year, and then go right into pre-production on the Huntsman and we'll shoot that mid March, 1st of April. And then I hope to take a little bit of a break, and do more Hopefully. podcasts. And what? I'm sorry. <laughs> and do more podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe write another screenplay. Yeah. There you go. Hey, yeah. I got some ideas for
0: you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk. Uh yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: When you, um, before releasing you in in the completion of the film, do you do the submittal into the film festivals, or you try to get into the uh, bigger markets?
1: Yeah, it just depends on what the project is and like how you plan to sell it. Um, we did out of exile and, um, I guess it had been 2020, early 2022, um, when it was finishing post-production XYZ saw a cut mm-hmm. and they, they, they liked it and they came on as our sales agent. And I think it was in AFM, um, 2022 or right before that. And, um, they went to Saban and Saban and several other people like grindstone and a others and Saban bought the film and then they had like a deal with Paramount. So Saban and Paramount put the movie out and that's what we did. But we didn't go the festival route with that movie because we sold it straight to the distributor and the okay. distributor wanted to put it out and we were like, okay, you know, it's fine. Uh, I felt like it was probably, it wasn't a stylistic art house film in any way. So it was mm-hmm. probably just, you know, a, uh, you know, typical programmer. In that, in that sort of sense, so it just need to be on VOD. But those aren't just the stories I want to tell. Um, I like sort of you know the stylized art house films with a mixture of the commercial viability. So you know like filmmakers like Denis Villeneuve or um, there's so many more of them. I can't, I'm not you're not coming off the top of my head. It's Scott Cooper or Jeff Nichols, uh, even some of the early Taylor Sheridan stuff like Sicario and Wind River. Hell or High Water. Those are, you know, programmer stories, Mm. but they sort of had like an art house vibe to some of the filmmaking and it just makes it reach a different sort of level. And that's sort of what my brand and I feel like, yeah, that's the brand that I want to create for myself as a storyteller and with my company, Safe House Films.
0: Being located in Oklahoma and in the middle of Indian country Mm. and with all the other stuff that's going on in the, in the medium, be it film and television, we're at the ebb and flow of indigenous people being involved in film and television. Do you see there's more recognition of filmmakers and screenwriters, obviously actors that are participating and being recognized?
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, especially here in Oklahoma, there's. uh, I mean, I guess after 2016, everything was kind of going out of state. Right. Uh, I mean, there's always been filmmakers here like Sterling Hart he's He's making films and stuff and making indie films on small budgets. And and so there's always been like Native American filmmakers here. Um, but I feel like it, it wasn't until like 2020, I guess, when killers of the fire moon came to Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. started to have the conversations around it and the reservation dogs. And then, um, from there is when it's really started, I've seen it sort of growing fast. Um, they sh- recently shot Fancy Dance here which was the Lily Gladstone Erica Trimbley's film and uh, so many others but I mean I was making films with Native American actors as early as 2017 or 2016 when I was doing the documentaries and then shorts that were just Native American based in 2017, 2018 so I, I've known a lot of Native American actors and crew members here for a long time but I just, it was just a small you know small way, I guess it wasn't mm. until the bigger movies sort of exposed what that could be. Um, if that answers your question.
0: It does. Have you also yeah. seen that there's been a resurgence of indigenous native Americans wanting to tell their story instead of it being told second or third hand.
1: I've seen it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of sort of native American crime thrillers. I'm hoping to sort of get made that, um, uh, yeah, I've written several, mm. um, So that's what I'm hoping to do next is to go shoot films with more Native American crew, Native American actors, and sort of Native American um, or an Indian country in general. You know, like we're talking about shooting in the Cherokee Nation, uh, not just for incentives, but uh, for the crew members and uh, the actors, but then taking it down into Choctaw country down in Southeast Mm Oklahoma, and, you know, infusing it with the Choctaw language. and. And, uh, just, you know, doing our due diligence to like, make sure that, um, that's that we give more options out to people. Like, I feel like it's, a, you know what I mean? Like there's not really been a lot of that stuff. So there's always been native American movies, I guess, right. dance wolves and whatever, but it's, you know, not till recently where you see native American filmmakers actually making movies. And, um, but it's still hard. Um. It's still very hard. I can write a screenplay that's Native American with a Native American lead. Like I, I've been doing this for the last year. And there's one project in particular. And we get a, get a name actor that's a Native American actor involved. But then you go to, and it goes out to all the production companies and studios to find financing. and It doesn't have any there.
0: It so out there, yeah.
1: It's just not there. You have to go cast a bad guy to... With a name, and that's the only way you justify financing. So you can have an indigenous storyteller, writer, director, producers on the page, Native American actors, crew members, and it doesn't matter yet, like to Hollywood financiers. Financiers, that does not matter. So you kind of have to figure out what the balance is. You can either right. self-finance it yourself on a feature film level, but that can take a long time to get movies made that way. Right. Uh, you know. It, and, uh, you know, to raise a million bucks to go do that, you, you could raise two or 300,000 pretty quickly, but then you might hit a, a bump in the road and then it might take three months to secure another 200,000. Well, by the time you got to 500,000, it's been four months, five months. So that first investor is wondering why it's taking so long. So now he pulls <laughs> this financing out. So it just, it's like the house of cards always. <laughs> and so it's, it's, um, it's tough. It's it's not easy. And I'm, I'm asked that question quite a bit, you know, like why don't you use more native American leads in your right. movies? And it's like, well, I would love to, I would absolutely love to, but no one's financing that. Right. So it's, do I, I keep pushing forward and finding solutions to that while I'm able to still keep making movies that are able to get made and stuff like that. And then eventually Maybe I, when I build my name up to have enough clout in the industry, or then I can beat the Taika Waititi or the Sterling Harjo, that I can say, "Okay, this is the movie I'm making. Get behind it or not." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and but like right now, I'm a nobody in the industry, and no one's just stopping their their day to say, "You know what? I got to give this Kyle Kirby Harris money. This guy, I got to give him some money." It just doesn't happen, you know. So it's right. you just gotta. Kind of got to go with the flow and where the industry kind of takes you. Sometimes and there's
0: a business side to it. <laughs> there's a business
1: side to it. It's not yeah. all.
0: It's not all lights, camera, and action. There's a lot of <laughs> background work. Was
1: everybody there anything that you? Money. Yeah.
0: Was, was there anything that really surprised you that you were unaware of when you got into this industry?
1: Unaware of? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of things. Uh, everybody is a star. Everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to be the boss, but nobody really, I I found in the independent world that there's a lot of people who will open the door and step through and say, Hey, I'm in this industry too. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I've found is this industry in order to make something of yourself or, or to create projects and see it through from beginning to end, whether it's writing, finding the money, crewing up, shooting the movie, Getting it through the editing, get it through post-production, get it through deliverables, get it on the screen, uh, into the the on TV. I have found that there's not very many people who will fight from the beginning to see it all the way through. It's um, I've also say this a lot like if you come into the business with the wrong intentions, it'll find a way to weed you out. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's you know, if you come in just I want to ride this. Coattails of others, or right. I'm going to come in and just kind of throw my weight around and be the big boss and show off, or whatever it is that those intentions are. I feel like it exposes people really fast and will weed them out. So I guess, like when you're starting off, it's you've got to build your team. Like it's not just about, you know, how hard you're willing to work or going in, journeying in and journeying out on the page and how good your scripts are, or whether you can raise money. You also have to have a team of people around you. And when you're building this sort of foundation for success, that understand that vision and uh, are willing to do as much work as you are to get there. Right. You know, and you got to have producers and you got to have cinematographers and actors and financiers and all these things have to kind of understand the same thing. And if one thing in the middle of that is sour, you can lose years. You know, you can lose friendships. You can, it can make the house of cards crumble faster and stuff like that. So it's, (laughs) I I tell people, like, build your team, you know, like, vet your team. You know, don't just, well, Jimmy down the street's really interested in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, let's think about it. It, Is Jimmy really going to do the work? You know, it's like what it takes because it's hard work. It's really a lot of hard work. Accountability and uh, responsibility and good communication. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, over the years, I've seen a lot of people kind of come and go that thought, you know, maybe we're going to help get there together. And it just, you know, they you just, they kind of go away because they see how hard it is and you're kind of left hanging for a while They kind of cleaning up a mess or something. And then it just, finally you get out of it, you can move forward, but it's, um, it's just, it's tough. It's right. tough. There's many facets to the industry than just maybe screenwriting. Right. You know, <laughs> it's so not as easy as it sounds. Not as easy as
0: it sounds. Is there a particular yeah. piece of work that you've completed that you were surprised at the response it got? And is there one that you can think of that it didn't get the response that you thought it was going to get? I'm not, no,
1: I haven't, the latter question, I haven't got any of that yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, I mean, the first one, <sighs> Yeah. I mean, when I got, when I first got repped in LA, you know, it's when I, I, it was a movie called blood roots and it was a native American crime thriller. And, um, so when that, when that kind of got me in the door and people were responding to it in a way, and I remember thinking like, okay, you know, they're, this is, this is exciting. Um, but then, in, you know, it was the Hollywood structure nothing against Hollywood, but it's just, they're not making your movie. And, um, and I was a nobody then, just short films and documentaries, and so they're not going to let me to make, go make the movie. And I learned that quickly. And um, when it came to like my film Out of Exile, being just sort of a sort of a studio programmer type movie, it, I had to ask myself, you know, when I was having those conversations with investors, there I could have went and done, did a an sort of art house movie, or I can go do a movie that gets my money back from my investors and build mm-hmm. that foundation. For those people and build the trust and then if we're making money then i can take a little bit of portion of this money to go be artistic and, and do something experimental but yeah i never want to do that in the beginning and then ruin the trust of the financiers so in those conversations i had you know i had learned quickly that maybe it's best just to go make a movie that gets distribution make some money back and then let's have a conversation on the next one after we've taken a risk we've made our we made our funds back and now let's see if we can take a bigger risk or something or mm-hmm. if, if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do,
0: do you think your films fit into a, a single genre? Um, are you just kind of where the story is that you want to tell?
1: I think it, they're mostly just, um, I mean, I think they are crime thrillers, crime, um uh, uh, I think that that's the stories that I feel like I want to tell mm-hmm. uh, versus just a drama or just a, a comedy or a horror um, crime, I guess is sort of like the the genre I work in um, because it's also good for distribution at the same time. Uh, I think it's a little easier to sell those types of movies. Um, and that's just what interests me, I guess as mm-hmm. a reader and a viewer and um, whether it be true crime or fictional or. Um, do yeah. you always
0: try to uh, put a Indigenous or Native American twist to it?
1: Not all of them, no, mm-hmm. and not all of them. I don't, but uh, several of them I do. Right? They'll be very specific, um, but um, not all of them. Uh, the one I'm the one I'm about to shoot isn't Native American. It's just um, um, sort of just middle class, lower class, or in a rural, like small rural town,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, like I grew up in. And so in this in this case, I just took the small town and just sort of a reflection of the people I'd known growing up, um, you know. Uh, but yes, there's there's like my next movie I want to write is Native American, sort of uh, central to Native American themes and stuff like that with characters and whatnot. Uh, on this one, I do have Native American characters in the screenplay, but it's not, I guess, the main focus. Main base.
0: So, what inspires and motivates you to be in this industry and be a
1: creative? what motivates me and inspires uh, yeah yeah, it was definitely not money <laughs> it's, it's not that uh um, I'm honestly man, I think it's just the real true like love for it you've gotta have like a healthy obsession for this business to mm-hmm. make it like and it can't be like I saying like like I was saying you know it can't be like I'm going to make millions. I'm going to get famous. And I'm like, yeah, that's all bullshit. <laughs> like, honestly, sorry for cussing on your podcast, hey, but uh, we're, not, uh,
0: we're not censored. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: okay. Yeah. It, just for me, again, it's just the heart of like the, the real emotion of it, and the real love for storytelling is there. And um, uh, I don't care if I get, have money or not. If, if, as long as I can live comfortably, I'm fine. But I just want to be able to tell the stories I want to tell. Um, and that's it. Like, I just really love what I do. And then, and if you really love what you do, you, those long hours don't feel like long hours. They don't feel like when you get up in the morning, you know, I've worked in the oil field and I remember what that was like, right. you know, and you have to go do a 12 hour day on the floor and you're getting your fingers crushed all day and it's a negative 10 degrees outside. Um, and so like, you know, you're just dreading your day, like, you know, I don't dread my day. I love every bit of it. And that's a constant learning experience and meeting new people, but you just got to love it. You really got, yeah. On a DNA level. <laughs>
0: yeah. Have, have yeah. you ever thought about being on the other side of the camera?
1: Yes. Yeah. Several times. Oh, oh, you mean as an actor? Yeah. No, I wouldn't work. No, no, no. I'm too short. And, <laughs> uh, uh, nothing against, you know, short, Hey, Tom Talent. Cruise is short, so Yeah, and he's probably like my height. I'm I'm five eight.
0: And uh, but I've got
1: tattoos and long hair and uh um you hey, know, there's, been, there's nothing wrong with tats. I got <laughs> I did, but as a filmmaker, like when I go cast someone like that, who uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like, and then I have to hide the tattoos. Right. So that's an extra hour in the chair. And then he's got long hair, and I really need it to be short. So you can you just pull your hair up the whole movie? It, you know, and it's just, there's a conversation around every piece. Um, I don't I guess it's just, you know, I'm I'm more of an introvert in the sense that I would rather be behind the camera and just not thinking about this stuff Mm -hmm. and just like thinking about the stories and the emotions and putting that into that. I think, I think I have done short films where I've acted in them and stuff. And then, but I, I, I'm too much of a self critiquer on my, you know, like, um I don't know. Like I'm, I'm looking at myself right now on your podcast. It looks like my face is bent sideways. <laughs> I have this like self-image thing, man. Like I just don't understand what that means. Like it just distorts me. Like I'm I don't know what it is. It's weird. I don't I don't get it. Yeah.
0: Self-critiquing, then you must be an actor. <laughs> no, Do you think you I take can't. challenges uh as a filmmaker? Take challenges? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, every day is a challenge as a filmmaker. Uh Every day is a challenge because you're constantly just, it's, um what's the word I'm looking for? It's strategy. Like filmmaking is all strategy To until you get to a place where it's like critical mass and then it just happens. But like in the beginning of any film project, it's strategy. And it's like, and if your strategy is off a little bit, the film's going to fall apart. And so you've kind of built, you've got to be able to think, five if not 10 steps ahead all the time um and even on independent films like when you get to your movie sets you have to do that too
0: right
1: um because the budgets aren't big enough to justify a a major props budget or or whatever it is and so you kind of have to be like constantly thinking like if there's not enough money in the budget for certain things then it's not going to be there so how do i create this how do i get ahead of this problem you know, and create it myself, right. figure out a way to create it myself. Um, so that's, I'm still doing that always. Is um, there anyone,
0: is there anyone, anyone in particular that you want to work with or collaborate on a project?
1: Too, too many to, too yeah. many accounts. To too many to count. Um, I mean, with my film, Blood, Blood Root, that's the, that seems to be like the next sort of thing that I want to really put myself into after uh, obviously, after these next two feature films that we're about to shoot back to back, so maybe next fall, mm-hmm. uh, we will shoot that project. But like we have Martin Sensmeyer attached to star in the lead role. Um, I've worked with Martin a couple times, uh, never as a writer, I never as a director actor, mm-hmm. but as writers and producers. And, and so, you know, it gets a, to get to work with him as a director and an actor relationship would be really cool. Uh, I think he's a cool guy. We. I got to spend a week with him doing research for the Jim Thorpe biopic that I got to write a couple of drafts on. And then of course, Wind river two that just shot in Calgary and I got to write a couple of drafts of that movie for them. And of course, Martin, we're, we're friends in that. He's, he's like, Kyle, you're, you know, I like his writing. You should, you should talk to these guys, these producers, and he would introduce me to those producers. And then I, it's up to me to seal the deal uh, ultimately. But uh, he's, he's just, he's, he's, He's believed in me and he's helped a lot in that regard. And so mm-hmm. I'd love to get this movie made with him and maybe go work with Tantu Cardinal and um, several other people in the industry that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to work with a lot of people, even some bigger di- directors of photography and producers and just lots of people. Right. Um, yeah. You got to get the <laughs> word
0: out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, start. Is there, I, I would assume that most of your, your work that you've completed is all in the contemporary form. It's all to date. Have you ever thought about doing something that's more period piece?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah I've written a couple of things that are period piece. And then as soon as I even try, they're just like, no, nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've written several things that are native American centric, that are period pieces. And there's a couple of books I've read. that I'd love to, do. I mean, there's a, um, uh, there's a book that I read recently. Um, let's see here. Flight of the Sparrow was one book I read recently, and it was a sort of um, back in the um, 1600s and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, there's um, Obviously, there's uh, there's other things that I like too, like The Shootist. There's an old John Wayne movie called The Shootist. Uh, the Jim Swarthout, I think it was Jim Swarthout was the author mm-hmm. uh, for that. But they're just... just like someone like the Coen Brothers would revisit that, I think would be great. You know, like they did True Grit, Charles right, right. You know, like the shoot us with Jeff Bridges, or someone to come back and play that old John Wayne role. I, I think those yeah. themes of the turning of the century and a dying outlaw and the fame of it of what he had, and then he's, of course he's dying of cancer and he puts it out to the world. Like anybody that wants to meet me in the streets, take yeah, the fame here I am, put me down <laughs> here I am. It's just. It's just got all these kind of things. That I think it's time for the shooters to be remade. Uh I would love to get to do that, but I'm in in no place to even, you know, get there um for a long time. But uh there's a lot of movies. Bass Reeves. I, I noticed that Taylor Sheridan's got a new Bass Reeves TV series coming out. And I don't know from what angle he's taking it from, but I mean I grew up near Fort Smith, Arkansas. My my grandpa did a lot of time, like he'd go out there and he would talk to all the people that would visit and stuff. And so when I was a kid, I'd go out there with them and, you know, he'd give me a quarter for a Mountain Dew or something. And I would have to sit there all day and listen to them, talk to these people over and over again. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, this is boring. And, uh, but then now that I'm an adult and I think back on, I'm like, oh, that was so cool. Like right. it was, uh, Some <laughs> best things of my childhood. And, and so I know some stories about like Bass Reeves that should be in the movies, you know, like, Yes, he was an African-American lawman who could speak multiple Native American languages. and He was just a general badass for Judge Isaac Parker. But like what, you know, there's a lot you can do with a movie there. Right. But like, I don't know if people really know that he was actually took the bounty on his own son after his son killed his own wife and then fled into Indian territory. And then all the other, you know, Judge Isaac Parker puts out this thing and says, who's going to take him down? And now all these U.S. Marshals were like, well, that's Bass's son. I don't know right. if I should take this, you know. And so Bass is like, I'll go get him. You know, and then he has to go into to, into this Indian territory and get his own son who's wanted for murder while he's up against these bounty hunters who are trying to take them down at the same time and get this reward. So I feel like there's a lot of themes there about fathers and sons and and but about justice and injustice. And um, and this is the time like when Judge Parker was dying of disease. And so mm-hmm. there's like this. Um, Bass Reeves and Judge Parker have worked together for 20 years and it's like a father-son relationship in that regard you know he gave Bass that opportunity to be something more and it's like um, there's just so many cool things there to explore I feel like with a a Bass Reeves movie like that and so that's how you know if I was to tell period piece movies it's like I want to tell stuff like that has a thematic underlying thing with the character and uh, um, Not just making nothing against this movie, but like I, I would not do like the Magnificent Seven remake. Right, right. You know, I just, <laughs> I mean, it's just I, you know, it's fun. Yeah, but like, yeah, uh, and I, I feel like I like movies that talk to me and like live inside me for a lot longer. Um, Those are my favorite movies, and so wouldn't you want all the movies that you make to be a favorite movie for somebody, mm-hmm. and not just like fluff?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, the connection too, you know, you're the storyteller. There's got to be a connection. Right, yeah. So what advice would you give someone that wants to get into this industry, Kyle?
1: What advice? Um,
0: what would you have told yourself 10 years ago?
1: I don't, yeah, um, that's a tough one because... I think you have to fail a lot to understand how to win. Hmm. You know, like um, I think we come into this industry and you automatically want it to win the first time. Yeah. And if you don't, you wonder like, Oh, I just can't, I can't, I guess I'm, it's not made for me. I can't do it. Um, Luckily for me, my stepdad who raised me was a high school football coach and he was tough as nails. And uh, there, there was, There was no winning ever. Right. You know, it was like you're always working, always working. And so, to get, if you got a broken hand, wrap it up. You're going to go out there on that field and you're going to play with a broken hand. You know, it was kind of like that. And so, having just all those pieces in my life all kind of play a little factor into who I am now. And you kind of have to go into the business with that healthy obsession, being able to journey inside authentically to come out you know mm-hmm. and then have that sort of ability to communicate with people and to be creative and vulnerable and emotional without being too eccentric but then also have the ability to to fail and and know how to get back up again and i think um uh, i don't know how the younger audiences younger people do it now because i don't know about just Young people today, I don't know about work ethic yet. Right. You know what I mean, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, I don't know about it. I'm watching it. I love young people. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, they can do a lot. There's, there's so much more things. I never even had a cell phone, so I was like going in the military. So it's like, I never had, I was never surrounded by social media until recently. I don't, I, my Instagram is literally two years old. So it's, um, I don't even know how to work that very well. <laughs> I still have problems posting a story, uh, but I, I just feel like it's um, there's a work ethic, and like uh, just the ability to fail and know that that's not actually failure. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's winning and failure because it teaches you how to overcome obstacles. Right. And um, if you don't know how to overcome obstacles in this business, you're never going to get anywhere. And in every stage, there's a new obstacle. There's a hundred obstacles in each phase, so you have to be able to navigate things in a way where, you know, just it doesn't doesn't bother you. People tell you no, right? Or well, someone you. quits on you. can't just like okay, thank what? you.
0: I agree with you. You got to fail to learn how to know how to to win.
1: Yep, that's it.
0: Well, as we wrap up, Kyle, is there anything else you want to share or tell us and promote and? Man, I.
1: I don't know. I don't know that I have enough to promote yet. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure it all out. I'm still a new guy. Um, What's next for you? Yeah. What's next? I mean, just like I said, I just, you know, Out of Exile came out January 20th and then I just shot those two short films back to back and then we're financed for two features in a row. So shooting Reverence on November 29th and then we're shooting uh, the Huntsman in the spring. And then hopefully next fall I can look at doing Bloodroot, and that sort of be like a Native American crime thriller. That's the this is the story in the project that means the most to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully from there, in another year, two years, when those movies start coming out, maybe at that point um, we should talk again.
0: Yeah.
1: Then I'll I'll let you know.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. How, how, I feel,
1: how I feel about it.
0: Where I'm there, at in the world. Is there anything? that you want to do that you haven't tried in this industry that you want to partake in?
1: I thought about, you know, every now and then it gets really, really hard. It gets really hard. I've had several film projects just fall apart. The last Mm -hmm. second, that was like three weeks before filming and the financier just pulls the plug on half a million bucks or something. And then that's hard. That's just like a slap in the face. And um, when you put all that work into it, so that that's only because I'm a writer, producer, director, Mm -hmm. And so you fight so hard to bring that project to life because you can't do multiple projects at once because of the financiers and how it muddles the money. Right. And And so you you can put four or five months of your life into something as a writer, producer, director, and then it fall apart. And then you're left with nothing. And then you got to start from scratch again. But like I went to school to be a director of photography. And um, so there's a part of me that just maybe wants to go back and just be a DP and just focus on the, take the script and then how we're going to shoot this thing. What's the cinematic language, right. for This movie, that would be awesome. And then, again, and then I found myself saying this all the time. I should have been a novelist. <laughs> and uh, I should have been because uh, I love novels and I've 25 screenplays collecting dust on hard drives <laughs> that are 120 pages long. I mean, all I got to do is go in there and add a, a page of description between each page. And I've got a 240 page novel. So it's, you know, I, but then that's its own road of its own, you know, long road to success at the right. same time. So it's like, you gotta, each one of them takes time. And so I'm at 41 years old, coming up on 41. It's like, how much time am I willing to spend at this point when I'm already kind of got the foundation and right. the film, you know, so it's just using good sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We should probably just stick with this thing until it really falls apart. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> hey, well, it's,
0: it's been a yeah. pure joy to have you on the show and thank you for the time. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Oh, cool, cool. I'm, I'm glad you did. I'm sorry that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, things happen every day now that we're getting closer hey. to filmmaking and it's like, it's getting crazy. And it was like pouring down rain this morning. So I just had to throw my sweater. <laughs> no and
0: worries. No worries.
1: Um, <laughs> but,
0: well, yeah. Kyle. Congrats and much success to you. And thank you again.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys. This this was a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Thank you.